monster, a creature with such horrific features, a lady, a bride, and scary movie fan, some nerds and their website present this woman and her man. Hello and welcome to take two of the Bride of the Creature podcast. And this time I remembered to hit record. I am Idiot. the cre- I am the creature Joey G here from Chicago. And joining oh. me across the table there is uh, the bride, Nicole, the cutest podcaster in town, Nicole G the Bride. Hello there. I'm not talking to you. How are you, love? I'm good. I hate to tell you this, but we've had several requests to bring back the voices here at the top of the show. I'm not a fan of the voices. Well, you know what? The people have spoken. They all want to hear them. I had more than one person tell me this. I want you to make sure that this is actually recording. Oh, I made positive, Melassi. The recorder, she be going there fine and dandy. All right. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful podcast here today. You know, Joey, it's late. It's past my bedtime. So. You know what, uh, you know what Seamus there has to say about that? Oh, it's past her bedtime, but you have to sleep a little bit longer there. Just a wee bit. I should come up with another voice, because those two are the only ones I've got right now. No, I think that's good. Let's move on. Are you sure? Yep. I could try to do, like, a Fat Bastard Scottish kind no, of I, No, Fat Bastard is so not funny anymore. That's a good point. Anyway, let's get into the show there. We're going to start off by... Uh, this week we were watching my pick, or Joey's pick, because I'm uh, the Chicago... This is the normal. This is the normal way for the Chicago way. All right, fine. I'll go back to me again. But don't be surprised if one of another if another special guest drops by later in the show. Alright. Uh, so this week was my pick, and we watched a little something-something called Eraserhead. Let's listen to the trailer. Upon further review, we decided that uh, the trailer for this movie would be worthless to listen to because it's just like st- static noise and industrial sound effects, which is a huge part of the movie, which we will get to. But instead, what we made you listen to was a little taste, if you will, a little sous-son of what the film has to offer, the song and everything is fine. Because that static sound has to really go with the picture he's showing Yeah, yeah. as well. 
Yeah, but that, and that song you may recognize because the Pixies cover that song. Very cool. Right? Professor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so, um, Nicole. Yes. Do you want me to uh, explain the plot of Eraserhead? If you can. Okay. Hang on, let me just um, bang my head against the wall for a little bit. Just kidding. Okay, here we go. Bender, stop it! Oh, he does this on every podcast. He eats blankets. He's a blanket no. eater. He never eats blankets unless you're recording. He's just bored. He just, just kill him. Okay, I'm trying. Brenda, fuck off. I'm trying to explain the racer head here. All right, Henry Spencer, played by Jack Nance. All right? Okay. He, uh, he goes to see his girlfriend, Mary X, who discover, and he discovers that she has given birth to his child, but they're not even sure that it is a child. Or if it's human. <laughs> yeah. Do, do, do. yeah. Thanks. Anyway, so basically the premise of the whole rest of the movie is just uh, Henry uh, in his apartment... Dealing with this creature, baby, child thing that may or may not be human. And, uh, I mean, it's a David Lynch movie, so there's really not much point in trying to explain the plot unless I go really into detail about all my theories and how it relates to his other films, which maybe I'll do a little bit later. But, Nicole, yes. setting aside the plot, because really it's not about plot in David Lynch movies, usually it's all about theme and atmosphere and mood and, right. and, and imagery and sound and stuff. What do you think? Do you like this flick? Well... No, no, yes or no. Do you, do you like a razor head, yes or no? I can't answer yes do or no. Do you... Okay, me... Let, let me right. explain. All right. Okay? I don't know. I have... You know I have a love-hate relationship with David Lynch movies. And I don't really think it matters if I liked it or not because as a piece of art... Me. As a piece of art, it's, it's pretty perfect, I think. I don't think I personally liked it or enjoy watching it but like most of David Lynch's movies I kind of like the after effect it has on me where I'm thinking about it lots and it sticks with me but I don't enjoy watching a David Lynch movie that's reasonable I mean I think one of the things you always hear people say in a very dismissive way in fact usually usually if somebody doesn't like David Lynch they don't say it the way you just said it which is pretty reasonable and pretty cool and like you're just like it's not for me but I I appreciate and respect what he's doing. They usually just say, oh, it's just fucking weird and for weird's sake. Anybody who thinks David Lynch is weird for weird's sake is lazy as shit. Because you cannot look at a David Lynch film and see how precise and specific and carefully crafted every fucking scene is and think that he doesn't have some reason for it. You may not like the reason, you may think it's stupid, and that's totally cool, but to suggest he's just being weird for the sake of being weird is lazy. I definitely don't think he's being weird for the sake of being weird. Like you yeah. said, everything is... Every little detail is so cons- carefully considered that you know it, there's a reason for it. And yeah. honestly, like I was thinking about this movie in terms of what I would have said in an art critique during my ACAD years and stuff. And there's For people not, who don't know what ACAD is, oh, it's the art college Nicole went to. Alberta College of Art and Design. And it's kind of... In an art critique, you break everything down in that piece of art. You and critique it? There's nothing... <laughs> she just glared at me. <laughs> there's nothing negative as a piece of art that I have to say about this movie. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I think is that when you see how deliberate everything is, and you see how carefully crafted and specific every single moment is, it's a little bit facetious when we make a joke about how it's not really about anything. Because clearly it's about something. Clearly there is a plot, however... 
opaque it may appear, but nothing that carefully put together and that deliberate is just willy-nilly and random. So I actually do think that there's a plot, and I think that this plot becomes much more apparent when you watch it in context of other David Lynch movies. But even just on its own, I think it's pretty obvious, at least what the major theme of the movie is. Would you say that it's fairly clear that it's talking about uh, fatherhood and the... the Yes. The horror of reproduction for the first yes, time. Yes, as far as David Lynch movies go, this theme was pretty, yeah, pretty clear, clear compared to other ones. But like every detail is down to like his pocket protector with his pants oh, yeah. in it that he wore. Visually, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Every it's, piece of light, everything is outstanding. I love his set design. I spend a lot of time looking at the interiors of rooms. Yeah, and, and it's always... just... It's very different, and it's like very carefully crafted, yeah. I think. I mean, you could describe it very much as what it feels like to be inside a nightmare. See, you know, I, I like think... It, and they have, it has its own internal logic. Like, personally for me, I enjoy art that is more emotional and more... Um, like, I get involved in it. I have an emotion to it. I find David Lynch movies, I finally just figured out, besides going into themselves, what I don't really enjoy watching is that they're very... Cold, like a, a lot of video art, I would say, has this yeah, very remote, removed, very cold feel to isolated. it. And I'm a voyeur yeah. looking in, and I, that I don't like that. I You're like to on be someone else's. Nightmare. I like to be involved in it, mm-hmm. either emotionally or physically, somehow in the art. And I think that Eraserhead, even more so than most other David Lynch films, is one of the most isolationist of all the films. Like, there's very few people in this movie. There's very few instances of characters interacting with each other. Really, there's the beginning when um, Henry goes to Mary X's house and meets her parents mm-hmm. with the great Henry Dean Stanton scene where he's sitting at the table telling stories. I love that character. Uh, and then also the only other character really that Henry interacts with at all is the woman across the hall. Yeah. Whom I have lots to say about. I have a theory. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, so definitely of all the women, this is the one that... And it's important to the movie as well that it's so isolated because it, it's so much of him being isolated and locked alone with the, the creature that is supposedly his child and it's screaming and him struggling with whether or not he actually wants to kill his own child. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you want to say before I go ranting? Because <laughs> I'm going to talk. I got, I got, I got dots you got, to connect. You got things to I say. I got dots to connect. I got I to gotta explain this movie. You got things to say. I can explain it. You can explain everything. I can explain it. This is your interpretation, though. Like, what I think about David Lynch, this movie in particular, it's almost like a very precise abstract painting. Mm -hmm. Like, there was abstract painting like Jackson Pollock where he was experimenting and seeing what what, what would happen if he did those things. But there's other abstract paintings where they spend a long time thinking about where their lines and color, what color they're going to use, and it's still abstract to us, but the artist is deliberate in everything they do. I feel like that's what Mm -hmm. this movie is like. Like Most David Lynch movies are like. I completely agree. So I I enjoy it as an abstract piece mm -hmm. of art. I also think it's extremely interesting that this movie is so successful and works so well without color. Because if you look at the rest of David Lynch's filmography, apart from The Elephant Man, Color is one of the most important tools he uses over and over again in movie, in every single one of his films, and he establishes these visual clues that carry over from movie to movie to movie to movie to tell you what you're in for and to explain things, and things that you wouldn't know unless you watched all of his films in the context of each other. You know, and so the fact that this okay. movie is so successful without using color is amazing to me. Well, that's it, very deliberate as well. Absolutely, yeah. 
I love this movie so much. I fucking adore this movie. Okay, you ready for me to crawl up the right into the rabbit hole? Yes. I'm gonna explain some shit to you. This is well, your interpretation. My interpretation of this movie through the lens of other David Lynch films. I think once you watch Twin Peaks, so many puzzle pieces fall into place in all of David Lynch's other films. How so? One of the major themes in Twin Peaks has to do with other worlds and like uh, right. creatures or entities from other worlds and their avatars in the main world. So basically in all of David Lynch films we have the characters who exist in a plane of existence that we could recognize as being somewhat similar to our own and the characters who are from the other world. Right? And right. in Twin Peaks, we learn about the Black Lodge and the White Lodge and the Red Room and all that kind of stuff, right? I love so the, the Red Room. So basically, there are characters from the other world, and they are separated into the good and the bad. And they're always manipulating and interacting with people from our dimension. And some of them are benevolent, and some of them are very evil. So, for example, the benevolent, you have Glenda the Good Witch from um, Wallet at Heart, or you have the, the little man from another place. What can we stick with, with this, this movie? We will, but I have to establish some context. All right. Or you have the evil, so you have Bob from Twin Peaks, right? Right. And then sometimes those characters from the other world also have... Sometimes they can possess characters in our world, right? Like Bob in Twin Peaks. Right. Uh, and then sometimes they actually have an avatar of their own that seems to exist in both planes. So, for example, the the giant from Twin Peaks, he also seems to be connected to that weird waiter guy in Twin Peaks, remember? Yes. Okay. So, I think that in Eraserhead, there are at least two characters from, at least two characters from the other world. Okay? okay? We have the man in the planet at the beginning of the movie who has the levers, and he's the ones... Yeah, I he, didn't quite get that. I think that that character is... Similar to a character like in Mulholland Drive, the man behind the diner, that creature, it seems that these characters from the other world have varying levels of power. So some of them have small amounts of power and can just try to influence our world uh, by talking to characters from our world, and some of them have a much more noticeable and, and um, observ observable power that can actually affect our world without interacting with humans. Okay. So he was able so to he's at, he, for example, without interacting. Exactly. So, for example, him pulling the switches, him kind of controlling the world, he is the reason that Henry ends up impregnating Mary X. He kind of set this whole thing into motion by making Mary pregnant with this thing that looks not unlike a sperm, right? And that's that scene at the beginning where his head is there and that weird worm thing, which is kind of looks like, kind of like a sperm, is coming out of Henry, right? Right. Remember at the beginning of the film? Yeah. The other character from the other world in this movie is the woman in the radiator, Right. Now, very creepy lady. Very, very creepy lady. Now, she is... And there's lots of visual clues that he uses in later films. So, like, the spotlight and the red curtains. Almost, whenever you see a spotlight in a David Lynch movie, you're usually it's usually like a keyhole that you can use to look through into the other world to get a glimpse of the other world. And whenever there's red curtains, usually that's like a gateway into the other world. Right. Throughout the, all of his films. So I'm going to assume those curtains are red. That <laughs> the lady in the radiator has. Now, like I said, some of these other world characters have physical avatars in our world, right? Like the giant and um, the, the waiter. I think that the woman across the hall is the physical avatar of the girl in the radiator because they're both accomplishing the same thing. They're both trying to do the same thing. They're both trying to influence Henry and convince him to kill his child. So right. the girl across the hall, she's desirable to Henry. He feels isolated and his girlfriend is frigid and has run away and can't stand to be around him or the child. And she is sort of like the embodiment of this perfect image of, of womanhood, right? 
and the girl in the radiator, she's the one whispering in his ear and telling him that everything will be fine if he just destroys it, if he just kills the child. She's stopping on the worms with that smile, with the calliope music playing, and she's saying that in heaven everything is fine. Just do get rid of this creature and, in and you'll be in heaven and everything will be fine. And there is that scene at the end when he finally does do what she says, spoiler alert, uh, and the screen whites out. You get that washed out where everything just goes super white and you can't see anything but white. That happens in a bunch of David Lynch movies. It happens in Twin Peaks Fire Walk With Me. It happens in Mulholland Drive. It happens in Elephant Man. It happens in Blue Velvet. It happens in a bunch of places and always at a time where the character is either glimpsing what their perfect definition of heaven is or when the character is actually possibly in heaven like in the White Lodge. So... When we look at all those things together, and there's a bunch of other ones, like the dog barking every time in a David Lynch movie, whenever you hear a dog barking or someone talking about dogs, something major is about to happen. So the dogs are almost like the heralds of some major event that's going to change the world. So in this movie, when he's walking to Mary X's house through that weird industrial landscape, and you hear him get startled by those dogs that are off screen barking like crazy, right, right after that is when he finds out that he has this child. Right. And that happens again and again in all these movies. Isn't that so cool? That is very cool. Yeah. So, really, like, apart from the clear, like, thematic things about fatherhood and all the things you can take from that, you can even, there's even a bit of a straightforward story about these otherworldly beings manipulating creatures on Earth into doing what it is they want them to do. So, really, it's a story about Henry being manipulated by the characters from the other world into killing his offspring. <laughs> Isn't that fucked up? So fucked it happened. Up. Ugh. It's, and you can go through all the movies and find all these little clues that they happen all the time. And once you've watched the other ones, the other ones make way more sense. Like, seeing Twin Peaks and Eraserhead and all the other ones makes Mulholland Drive and Inland Empire seem totally easy to understand once you start to pick up on all these things. Yeah. One of the few filmmakers who the movies do not diminish at all the more you watch them. They just get better and better and better and better because they're so carefully put together. I like the whole build-up to him hearing those dogs bark and yeah. finding out that he's a... Because it says, it's, it says so much about his character mm -hmm. to already to that point where you already can tell by the way he moves and his you know pocket protector with his pens and stuff mm -hmm. that he is hanging by a string or, of right. his he's neurosis weakened. already. Like, he's already totally. a weak character. He's already... Well, not a weak character, but a weak kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like... Startles easily, very easily frazzled. And I think it's possible that at the scene where Henry finally gives into temptation and does end up trying to kill his child, I think it's possible to interpret that as that's the moment where his weakness is strongest, his guard is let down the most, and he's actually, in a way, possessed by one of these otherworldly entities. Because as we learned in Twin Peaks, mm -hmm. for, the, for the, the otherworld creatures to actually take control of a person in our world, they have to be let in somehow. And I think that by having his weaknesses and his defenses lowered down so much well, he did, in that he moment he invited that woman in to his apartment exactly now I think you, there's a, a chance that maybe that part didn't happen I think that that might have been him imagining something that he wanted but I'm not sure I'd have to watch it again to really think about that part more because the other thing you'll notice in these other movies is usually when a creature or an entity is coming across from one world to the other you get this strobe effect or electricity or some kind of visual display of power and electricity is usually used to show something transferring between the worlds so that, that scene where he does go to kill the baby and the lights go crazy and it's all like a strobe and like the baby is flying around and it gets huge and all that, I think it's possible that Henry is at that moment taken over by one of the more malevolent creatures from the other world, like Bob from Twin Peaks. Hmm. Not that necessarily that it is Bob, but something like it. Yeah. And that, yeah. Oh. There was a scene actually that was almost identical to something that happened at Twin Peaks when his wife... 
um, is leaving mm-hmm. to go stay with her parents, and she goes to the door, and then she comes back, and the way she kneels and at the bottom of the and bed, the bed, and is shaking the bed, was exactly like Bob, Bob and does. Twin Peaks. That right. freaked me out so much because it freaked me out in Twin Peaks, and it freaked me, mm-hmm. like it just it was exactly like that. Completely. Yeah. It's so cool. These visual things keep coming back. And honestly, like, but does my movies are so much better even in context of each other. Does my explanation make sense of why I appreciate it as a piece yeah. of art, but I don't really like it? Absolutely. I appreciate the artistic value of a lot of punk rock music, but I don't like listening to it. I don't put it on myself very often. Yeah. I have to be in a very specific mood, and it doesn't come around very often. You know? Sure, lots of stuff like that. It's just very interesting what David Lynch does. Yeah. And I personally adore everything he does and think that he's one of the most brilliant filmmakers and artists I would, of all time. I would disagree that he's But I also really enjoy watching it. I get visibly, you're looking at me, I'm getting visibly excited talking about this stuff. So I am very happy you watch this movie with me. I love this movie. Does this, having seen it, does it make you appreciate movies like Lost Highway and Inland Empire more and Mulholland Drive? Because I know that you aren't a huge fan of those three movies. I like your explanation of... Um those themes, how they are in all of his films. Um, I enjoyed Eraserhead more than I liked Lost Highway and Mulholland Drive. Um, but I would Inland Empire. Inland Empire, I think, is what prepared me for what David Lynch was like. That's kind of throwing I you into the deep end. hated Inland Empire <laughs> when I first saw it. I wanted nothing more than to feel normal again. But that movie, Joey, it stuck with me mm-hmm. for a week. And I had to really reassess what I thought of it. I couldn't just say I hated it because obviously it had some profound effect yeah. on me. Really, like, don't do what I did. If you want to introduce someone to David Lynch because you want them to like him, don't take them to Inland Empire first. Isn't <laughs> his, that like a three-hour movie? It's three hours, and if you haven't seen any of his other movies and started to pick up on these cues, it's almost impenetrable. Once you know some of his cues and some of these clues, it's actually a little bit more straightforward than it seems. But otherwise, it's completely impenetrable. I would also say that there's a very um, clear streak of a bit of humor in all of these oh, movies definitely. as well. Like, Twin Peaks had really funny mo- I love that um, moments with yep. Coop. And in this one, the whole beginning of him walking, he looked a bit like Charlie Chaplin. He yeah. moved a bit like Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And parts were funny to me. Oh, I forgot one more thing I wanted to talk about that comes up again and again and again in David Lynch movies as a theme. It's sort of like this idea of the duality of characters, how everyone is not what they seem. Everybody has a dark side or everyone has another side of the coin. So just like we have the White Lodge and the Black Lodge and we have the good characters and sometimes the bad characters and sometimes characters with evil doppelgangers, every single movie seems to be about these different sides to the same character. So at the beginning we have Henry who is this very timid, very weak, very mousy, nervous, anxious character who, by the end of the movie, commits this great atrocity and kills its own child, right? Right. So like, so to have the timid, mousy, wouldn't-hurt-a-fly, nervous guy also being capable of this tremendously great evil after being corrupted just shows that same duality that shows up again and again and again in all of his movies. Oh, so cool. So cool. <laughs> I'm clearly very excited. We should just do David... I should just do Lynch cast. <laughs> I would not do that with you. That's fine. You don't have Twin to. Peaks is probably one of my all-time favorite shows. It's brilliant. I like it better than all his movies. That's fair. All right, Nicole, it's time for you to give me a rating out of 10. What are you going to give it? Now, I know this is tough because you didn't like the movie, but you appreciate it, so it'll be interesting it's to hear how you do it. It's actually pretty easy for me. I give it a right. 10 out of 10. 
Really? It's that's perfect as a piece of art. That is your second whether, ten. Whether or not I like it doesn't matter. It's it's pretty perfect as a piece of visual art. Nicole, that is only your second ten ever. What, what was my first? The Haunting, the original Haunting. Oh. Yeah. This is my second ten ever as well. I adore this movie so much. It's just fucking brilliant. So goddamn good. Well, you know what that means, Nicole. It's time to play Would You Rather, Would You Rather, What Would You Rather Do? Would it's your you Would You Rather. It is my Would You Rather, and I've got one. All right. All right. Bender, stop making noises. All right, Nicole. Would You Rather. I had it in the car. What was it? Fuck. <laughs> oh, I don't remember now. Uh-oh. Okay, Would You Rather. You don't have it in your head. Okay, you? Would You Rather. Look like the lady in the radiator. So with the big poofy cheeks. And all fucked up, yeah. But live in the real world. Or look like when Henry has the weird worm guy head with the baby head, but live in the real world. No, I already said that. No. Or would you rather look like you and live in the eraser head world? So you look just like you and you're normal, but you live in the weird eraser head world, or you look all creepy and fuck you like the lady in the radiator and you live in the real world. This is the worst would you rather have ever come up with. <laughs> Um, I'd rather just look like me and live in the racer head. Okay. Because yeah. maybe then I'd actually feel more emotion. I would rather uh, someone else write a would you rather for me for next time because I fucking hate coming up with them. I suck. <laughs> that was the shittiest one ever. I'm That's so sorry. Right. Oh, fuck. So it's time to play our game. Nicole, it is time to play The Following is Based on a True Story. Can I explain the rules to those people at home? You can. The Following is Based on a True Story is a game wherein I wink come up with a series of films three real movies that are bizarre and strange and one that is a big fat phony and nicole has to use her skill and judgment to determine which is the fake however we are throwing caution to the wind we are turning this convention upside down we are exploring the duality of our podcast and we're turning things around our evil doppelgangers have arrived and nicole is going to ask me which is the true story. So Joey has to use his skill and judgment to, to determine which is the big and fast moment. I'm very excited because finally it's my turn. It's what if I turn. get it on my first try though? Aren't you going to feel so dumb? I'm, I'm not going to feel dumb. I'll be a little <laughs> disappointed but I'm still excited that it's my well, I don't turn. I disappoint you, sweetie. I'm excited that I get a turn. Alright, alright. Alright, are you ready? I'm ready. And can you use your skill and judgment? Oh, play? I can use it. I was born ready to do this. Has it been recording properly? It's been recording. Get off my nuts. Alright. So, the first film. I think, yeah, film number one. Film number one. Drop it on me. Do you usually say the year? Not always. Sometimes oh. I do. I have the years here, so I'll just appear with this Okay, first one. Film number one. Came out 2012. 2012. It's called Come Out and Play. Come Out and Play. A couple take a vacation to a remote island, their last holiday together, before they become parents. Soon after their arrival, they notice that no adults seem to be present, an observation that quickly presents a nightmarish reality. You can tell you read books to children because your diction is very clear. Well, that's good. The audience will (laughs) hear me. All right. So nightmarish things. Okay. Film number two. From 1982, White Dog. A trainer attempts to retrain a vicious dog that's been raised to kill black people. (laughs) Film number 
Number three. <laughs> Are you making fun of me? <laughs> yes. 1991. Dolly Dearest. An American family moves to Mexico to fabricate dolls, but their toy factory happens to be next to a grave, and the toys come into possession of an old malicious spirit. Ooh, very scary. <laughs> Film number four. The Ordained Three from 2004. In a remote southern town, a group of ordained ministers form a satanic cult. In a converted barn, they pose as the Catholic Church claiming to save the souls of sinners. Okay, so the first one was come out and play. Come out and play. But the what? pregnant couple on the beach hanging out. Yeah, they think it's a holiday, but there's no other adults there. Okay. Number two is White Dog. I'm pretty sure White Dog is a real movie. I don't... I'm... I'm almost positive that I've come across White Dog you as You don't think travels. I could make up a story about a dog that's been raised to kill no, black people? No, because it sounds like something I would make up to try and fuck with your head. And I'm pretty sure... Like, I'm not 100% you sure, but I'm pretty sure I've heard You don't think I get in your movie. head enough to know what would fuck up your head? No, I don't. I don't think you're that mean. I'm pretty sure White Dog is a real movie. Dolly Dearest? See, Dolly Dearest sounds like it's playing off of the title Mommy Dearest, and I don't think you would have heard of that movie. Dolly Dearest is the one about the possessed toys? Mm-hmm. When was the last one called? The Ordained Three. The Ordained Three? See, that doesn't sound like you. Would you even know what ordained means? What does ordained mean? Look me in the eye and tell me what ordained means. Ordained is a minister? Well, that's kind of... I mean, you said it in a dumb way, but you're kind of right. Or, I didn't say it in a dumb way. <laughs> ordained so a is a minister? Oh. <laughs> um... See, come out so, and play... Come out and play... It's so boring, but... 2012... White Dog is 1982, Dolly Dearest is 1991, Ordain 3 is 2004. I think that the Big Fat Phony is Come Out and Play. Final answer, Come Out and Play 2012 is the Big Fat Phony. Final answer? I said final answer. Alright, I'm going to start from the bottom up. Yeah. So. Um, I don't remember what Okay, I'll start wherever I want. White Dog is a real movie. I knew it. I knew that was a real movie. We should watch it. You Sounds... don't think... I, 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 I could... No. That, I, I, can, I can see me coming up with that to fuck with you, but there's no you way you would have thought of that. many times I had to repeat the, this line, a trainer attempts to retrain a vicious dog that's been raised to kill black people without laughing? You've been, you practiced? I've been practicing. <laughs> that's adorable. So, <laughs> white, white Dog... I I had help practicing, actually. My sister was here last night, and I practiced with her. White Dog is a real movie. Yeah. Dolly Dearest, you're right. Is a real movie? Is a real movie. Yeah, I knew you wouldn't have thought of that. Joey, Come Out and Play is a real movie. Fuck! The thing! Oh, you came up with the Ordained 3? Because that sounds like a real movie. Yeah. And you... Kind of knew what ordained meant. Like I know exactly what ordained meant. I just fucking read the read the synopsis of ordained three again. In a remote southern town, a group of ordained ministers form a satanic cult. In a converted barn, they pose as the Catholic Church, claiming to save the souls of sinners. Fuck! I should have listened more because that one's so obviously fake. It's so (laughs) no, you're saying that now to cover up your tracks. They pose as the Catholic Church, (laughs) and they hide in in a restored barn. It's a little oh. town. They don't have a lot of funds oh, to make a new church. I should have. Damn it! I should have. Uh, I should have thought harder. You know, you're just you're. Because come on, play is so generic that I thought that you would have been trying to trip me up, and that one was. Ah, oh, shit! So See, I. See, I thought you would pick come on and play because we're gonna be parents soon. So. Really, that's what you thought. That's why I would pick it, just because I'm gonna be a parent. Yep. You. Well, you got me, Nicole. You got me. Ah ha ha! Nicole wins. 
this week. Yep. Anyway, I'd like to just say kudos to you because this is fucking hard. hard. (laughs) Really hard, especially because I know you do so much research on these weird movies that I didn't know if what what you've heard of, what you haven't. I'm impressed. Coming up with a a A fake fake one, one, right? That's the hard part. This was really hard to do. I just want to tell you that I'm impressed because I had only heard of White Dog and I was almost positive I'd heard of White Dog. In fact, I think White Dog might even be in my notes for potential use, so I should probably remove it. Let me just see if it's in here. I'm no, oh, no, I don't. I guess I didn't use it. Good. Well, anyway. Anyway, Come Out and Play is a underground movie coming coming out soon. I don't think it's actually come out well, yet. It count. It doesn't come out yet. I'm trying to find loopholes. No, anyway, the trailers are all over the internet. Oh, they're and all over the internet. Anyway, it looks really scary. It yeah. looks good. Come Out and Play is something we should watch. Well, speaking of things that look scary and good, it's time to announce next week's movie. So Nicole. Joey's O for 1 for Nicole's <laughs> version of the game. Yeah, it's true. Joey is Nicole. Joey is Nicole. Joey is Nicole. <laughs> I can't believe I won. I'm so happy. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm good. Now I know how you feel every week. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say you're 3 for 13. I may be O for 1, but you're 3 for 13. See, now you're t- p- t- picking up But that means my, two weeks in a row you won. My ordained three two when weeks you said it sounded like a real movie. It did sound like a real movie until I listened more. That's the thing. The ordained three title sounds like a real movie. But as soon as I listened to the synopsis the second time, I'm like, I should have known that one. Well done. You got me. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Now it actually is time to announce next week's film. It's your pick, Nicole. What are we watching? Oh, yeah. Um, it's called A Tale of Two Sisters. Directed by Kim Ji-won. I think in Korean there you pronounce the last name. I think it's Ji-won Kim, but I could be wrong. I'm pretty sure you're supposed to say the the last name first. Whatever. Um, we're watching A Tale of Two Sisters. It's from 2003. Um, it popped up on a bunch of top foreign horror movie lists. And the cover of it reminds me a lot of the, t- the girls from The Shining, the creepy twin girls, both sisters. It won so, lots of awards, too. I think that this is something we should watch. I'm excited. I've been actually wanting to look at this movie for a long time, so I'm really glad that you uh, picked it. I'm very scared of it, that the, of the cover. So. <laughs> well, there you go. You should never judge a film by its cover. Well, I do, all the time. Yeah, but if you do that, you end up watching things like Bay of Blood. Actually, Bay of Blood was pretty good. I don't I'm know I'm thinking of um, the really shitty... Zombie Lake? What is it called? Zombie Lake? Uh, it was one of the oh, worst movies I ever yeah, saw. Oh, yeah, that was shitty. Terrible. Anyway... Uh, that's going to wrap us up this week here on the Bride of the... Oh! Oh, oh who's this? Hey there. How you doing there, everybody out there in the podcast land? Oh, my goodness. It's uh, it's Deep Voice Johnny. Yeah. Deep Voice Johnny? Oh, my yeah. God. Are you shitting me? I ain't shitting nobody. I'm here. I'm, uh, That's the worst name you've ever come uh, up with. Well, I wasn't... My, I'll tell my mom you said this, so. Uh, she was... It's actually a Dutch name. Uh, her grandfather was Dutch. And uh, this is... I, I had very little notice to come up with another voice. You sound just, like you've been smoking for was 20 the, years. This was on the fly. I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. So maybe next time I'll have a better one. I could do the voice that I'm going to do uh, in my voice acting debut. Mm-hmm. Well, hey there, kids. I'm Big Bob. And welcome to my sporting goods store. <laughs> hey. How's That's everybody the most doing? Annoying voice You're the heard. most annoying voice I've ever heard. I know. You want me to uh, go back to the Chicago I voice? Know I, I can. Have an annoying voice. You don't have an annoying voice. Oh, I've got an annoying voice. Hey, Joey, oh. Look at the time. It's almost eleven. Oh my o'clock. god! Look at the time. Where's the time gone? Until next week. 
From Brian of the Creature, I am Joey G. And I'm Nikaji. Y'all stay scary now. Kissy kissy. How could this woman ever decide to wed this man?